Welcome. My name is Caleb, and you are listening to the Vitamin C Podcast. So I opened Netflix last night and I kind of cracked up when I saw their top 10 trending movies had the 2016 Suicide Squad movie right in the middle of the top 10. And it was the only DCEU movie in their top 10. And what's funny about that is that Netflix did just add the full DCEU catalog to their library with the exception of the two cuts of Justice League. And so the fact that the 2016 Suicide Squad movie was the only one in their top 10 was funny to me because if you go online, if you go on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube replies, people talk about this movie like it's the worst movie ever made. I've always been firmly in the camp that it was overhated, that the movie was disappointing to me, but I never thought it was bad. I always thought it was like a okay five or six out of 10 movie, but people talk about like it's one of the worst movies ever made. So I do always find the results to be very funny with this film. And that is that one, this movie made $750 million at the box office without China. If you're curious how much money that is, that is double the amount of money that the sequels slash spinoffs slash retcons, whatever you want to call them, Birds of Prey and James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. It's more than double what those two movies made combined at the box office. So for people that want to say that this is the worst movie ever, I say, well... Maybe it's not great, but I will tell you that the general audience did connect with it. Even if it got bad reviews, they wanted to see this one. And then people can say, oh, well, those sequels didn't do well because of the 2016 Suicide Squad. Okay, sure, sure. Why are they getting outstreamed by the 2016 one on Netflix all these years later then? So at some point, I think we have to admit that there's something in that 2016 cut that people actually connected with. And the reason I bring this up is because there is a director's cut of this 2016 film that I've seen plenty of people say, there's no way it fixes this movie, despite the fact that literally a year later, DC had its worst movie of all time in Justice League that came out. And when the director's cut of that came out beforehand, everyone was saying, there's no way you can salvage that movie. It's terrible making it longer, and recutting scenes isn't going to make it better. But the director's cut came out, and in my opinion, it's one of the better superhero movies of the last decade. So I think a director's cut very much can salvage a movie. I've seen plenty of movies be salvaged by their director's cuts, especially when the director's cut is not just an extended cut, but a cut that has several scenes that were completely different than what made it into the theatrical version of the movie, which was also the case in Suicide Squad. In the 11th hour of production, they reshot this movie like crazy as a panic move due to the public's reception of Batman v Superman a few months prior, and also their love of the Deadpool movie that had come out earlier that year. They thought, if we make something more like Deadpool or Guardians of the Galaxy, more people are going to see this. And so they made a ton of changes in the editing room and reshot plenty of scenes so that this movie would have a more fun vibe to it as opposed to being a character-driven action drama as David Ayer had originally written. So I very much would love to see his original cut of Suicide Squad because at that point in time, he was on a hot streak as a director. He was coming off of End of Watch and Fury, which are both exceptional movies, and then had written and directed this one. 
but never got his true vision out there. So I would love to see that personally because I happen to think his 2016 Suicide Squad movie has a lot going for it. Even if overall it doesn't really work for me, I would like to see the true vision of the movie with the intended tone and character arcs and see how I like it. But I don't know. We'll see. For the time being, I'll just say it is kind of funny that this movie is still performing well all these years later. Now, to get to the real reason that I opened Netflix in the first place and the reason that I'm recording this episode today, I watched a movie last night and it's a new Netflix original movie and it's a Christmas Netflix movie. And this was one that appealed to me because I liked the cast enough. I didn't know a ton about the concept of the movie, but I thought, okay, it's a decent cast. It's a Christmas movie. And then I saw that it was directed by McGee. And something to know about McGee is that he's one of those directors that I would put in the journeyman camp. And when I say journeyman, I mean it's a guy who's directed all sorts of things. They've directed TV, they've directed movies, they've produced movies, and their stuff is always decent. It's never bad, at least, that I've seen. Occasionally, they'll have a miss that's a little worse than the other, but then they'll also occasionally have a pretty dang good movie in there. I put McGee in that category. I put John Favreau in that category. And there are a couple other that may be controversial that I would put in there. And even John Favreau, it might be controversial to have him in that category. But the reason I say Journeyman is because they're guys that make a ton of different movies. They've worked on TV shows, all that stuff. And they don't have their own distinct style. Like if you're watching their movie... You don't really know it's their movie until maybe you see a certain actor pop up or maybe until you see the credits. But it's not that they're bad directors. They're guys that are very good directors that they just get to do a ton of projects because they say, hey, you know, this is a decent script and we don't have anybody to shoot this. And so they'll bring in a guy that is an experienced director that they know can get the job done. But yeah, I do love a few of McGee's movies. He has the movie The Babysitter that I am a huge fan of. I think it's super funny and campy, and I'm a fan of that. He also has the movie This Means War that I think is fun. I don't think it's the greatest movie ever, but it's a pretty fun movie. And then his director's cut of Terminator Salvation is pretty decent. It's all right. So I saw his name attached as the director to this movie. I saw the cast, and I said, yeah, this could be a pretty funny comedy. And then the second I started the movie, it flashed at the very top that it was rated PG for mild humor or something and mild language, something like that. I thought, oh boy, I just turned on a PG family comedy. Because that's not really McGee's style. And watching the movie, at no point did I really feel like I was watching one of his movies. Not that he has a distinct style necessarily, but just that... The type of humor I'm accustomed to in his movies was not present, and it's because it was a PG family comedy. And I thought, they could have gotten anybody to direct this. I don't even know if I've said the title yet, but it's The Family Switch on Netflix. And the reason I didn't say the title is because I keep forgetting what the title is, because there's another movie coming out this month called The Family Plan, and it's another streaming original, but this one I think is an Apple TV one with Mark Wahlberg. But legit, when this movie, The Family Switch, ended, I got on Letterboxd to log that I watched it, and I typed in The Family Plan, and when the movie popped up, I looked at it, 
and said, huh, Mark Wahlberg produced this? And then I realized, oh, I clicked on the wrong movie. But that's just how forgettable this movie was that I had forgotten the title the second it ended. And that's kind of unfortunate. And so, yeah, I'll be completely fair. This was a family comedy and that wasn't what I was looking to watch necessarily. But once it had gotten started, I said, well, I've got nothing else planned. I got to watch this. And maybe it'll be a little bit enjoyable because I said, you know what? I don't know a ton about the concept, but what I'm guessing the concept is, is probably not too far off from something like Freaky Friday, which, yeah, it actually is a very similar concept to Freaky Friday. And in the case of Freaky Friday, I like that movie. I liked it as a kid. I haven't watched it as an adult, but I imagine I would still mostly like it. There was some funny stuff when I was a kid in that movie. Plus, it's got a banger soundtrack. So I thought, maybe, maybe this movie will make the cut. There are plenty of decent PG Christmas comedies. So I gave it a shot. So then fast forward to about 20 minutes into this movie, and that is when the switch first takes place. The mom gets put into her daughter's body, the daughter in her mom's body, and then the son and the dad switch places as well. And I paused the movie at that point because I was like, man, I don't know if I can make it through this. I was only 20 minutes in and there was still an hour and 22 left. And I just sat there and contemplated for a good 15 minutes of whether or not I wanted to finish it. And so I looked online to see if there were any other movies I could watch and talk about. And there weren't really any appealing alternatives to me. So I said, you know what? I'll just gut this one out and I'll talk about it. So you're welcome, first of all. But also, it's not even terrible. It's just not for me. It's definitely for a younger audience. But I really don't even know if kids would love this movie. Because if I was watching this as a 10-year-old, it probably would be very forgettable. It'd be one of those that my parents rent, we watch, and then we say, eh, unpopular opinion. But that was how Paul Bart Mall Cop was for me. That movie has like this cult status and I've never understood it. And I'm going to probably get some flack for this. And when I say get some flack, I mean, there's going to be some anonymous person that listens to this and logs this podcast one star on their preferred streaming service, which literally happened a few months ago because my Barbie episode got a huge bump in streams and I can't explain it. But the Barbie episode only had like 20 people listen to it in the first month. And then it was randomly in October, I checked and it had, let's just say, a lot more than 20 streams. And I then saw my star rating on Spotify had gone down from five stars, it was a five star perfect rating, to like, I don't know, 4.5 or something, which meant that somebody had left either a one or two star review to drag it down. And I thought, I wasn't even that harsh on Barbie. I'm actually not that harsh on most movies. Barbie was one that I straight up said, I liked it, didn't love it, and I wanted to love it. If that's worthy of stripping a good man of his five-star rating, then so be it, I guess. Anyway, I think I'm a little off track, but I start the movie back up, and yeah, they switch bodies, and I guess there's the typical humor that you would expect in a body switch movie, but to me, it was just a lot less funny than most movies I've seen like it. And I can't entirely blame the PG rating because Freaky Friday was funny to my recollection. So I think he could have made it work. But part of it was that Freaky Friday had Jamie Lee Curtis, who, look, she's not my favorite person in the world, but she's a great actor. And then it had Lindsay Lohan, who at that point in time, dude, she was at her peak. 
So that alone was a huge selling point to the movie. They had really great mom-daughter chemistry, whereas this one was kind of weird to me because the stakes made me uncomfortable. And I shouldn't say weird. I should say it was so cringe to watch these people and other people's bodies because they were all train wrecks. Like the dad and his nerdy son's body was just a total tryhard. And then the son and his dad's body was just a total freaking loser. The daughter in her mom's body was also just a mess. And then the mom and her daughter's body was just embarrassing, just awful. And the thing is, they have their bodies get switched because there's a family disagreement between the mom and daughter and then the father and son. And it's all before like the biggest days of their lives or before the two biggest days of their lives, maybe. Because the daughter is being scouted by Team USA in soccer. She's like 17 years old in high school. But she's about to play in this huge game that a scout from Team USA is going to be at. Then her mom has this huge proposal at her work that she has to present. And it'll pretty much make or break her company. Or at least it's make or break for her future at the company. The dad has a concert that somebody big is going to be at, somebody that they had played by Howie Mandel. (laughs) But it's basically going to be his second shot at stardom because you find out that he was almost in a big rock band years back, and so this is his second chance at making it big. And then the son has this interview with Yale that'll determine whether or not he gets into Yale. And so the first days in each other's lives are train wrecks, but then I'm thinking, okay, something's going to happen in the second day that salvages everything. And instead, the second day is an even bigger train wreck. And I don't know, man, it was so cringe to watch. And there are plenty of scenes that are so uncomfortable where I said, this isn't even funny to me. This just makes me, well, there's the word again. It makes me cringe. Because there's a scene where the kids are in their parents' bodies and they're around their parents' friends and their parents' friends want them to kiss and to them, they just can't freaking do it, but they're like, we have to do it to sell it. And I'm thinking, why do you have to sell it? Nobody on earth is suspicious that you guys are in your parents' bodies. But that's the thing is I thought, You're literally kissing your sister, but you're kissing your sister as your dad and your sister is your mom. That is like next level Alabama there. So yeah, that was crazy to me. Then there's another scene where there's a girl that the son likes and she goes in for a kiss and the dad is in the son's body at that point in time. And I was like, oh my gosh, please don't go through with this. And thankfully they did not without spoiling too much. They, they didn't kiss. And later on, he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm like 40 years older than her. And I said, okay, yeah, that's pretty respectable. But I guess I should note who the members of the cast are because that's probably the most noteworthy part of the movie. So the daughter is named Cece and she's played by Emma Myers, who I don't really know from anything, but I saw fan cams of her on social media. So she's probably in some bullshit show that I don't care about. The son, Wyatt, is played by Brady Noon, who again, I don't really know. The mom, Jess, is played by Jennifer Garner, who I like Jennifer Garner quite a bit. And then the dad is Bill, and he is played by Ed Helms. And again, Ed Helms, I think, is a pretty funny guy. 
My only thing with him, though, is he has been cast as a lead man in a ton of these types of comedies. Not always family comedies, but he has been front and center in plenty of comedies. And I just don't really think he's funny enough to carry a movie. And that was kind of my problem, is that I don't think any of these people were funny enough to carry a movie. Whereas a movie like Freaky Friday, you had Jamie Lee Curtis. Not in her prime, but still elite nonetheless. And then Lindsay Lohan was at the top of her game at that point in time. That was her prime, in my opinion. But yeah, the main cast in this movie, I mean, they're fine. They just weren't that funny to me. But then there's Matthias Schweigofer, who some of you may know. I'm a big fan of Matthias Schweigofer. He was in the Heart of Stone movie on Netflix that came out earlier this year with Gal Gadot. Movie wasn't good, but he was in it. Then he was also in Oppenheimer. He played Heisenberg, which I thought was funny because he looks absolutely nothing like Bryan Cranston. And then what introduced me to him was his role in Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. He is the safecracker in that movie. And then he went on to direct and star in the prequel movie Army of Thieves, which I actually thought was pretty dang good. I see people who prefer Army of Thieves to Army of the Dead because it's a little more simple, it's a little more fun. I guess it's much more accessible to some people, but to me, man, Army of the Dead is a better film overall, but I enjoyed Matias in both of those movies. And yeah, he's in this movie, and I guess I should note that they have a baby and a dog in this film, the family that has the switch take place. And when the switch takes place, the baby and the dog switch bodies which results in the dog doing things like a human baby would, except the dog's like walking around. And I'm thinking, does this baby really walk around? I don't think he can walk. He just crawls the whole movie. Why is he now walking when he's in the dog's body? And the baby, who has the dog in him now, is running around, jumping around, doing all this crazy stuff. And yes, it is a CGI baby and it is horrifying. I mean, seriously, it was like the Son of the Mask movie. I've never seen it. I've only seen clips from it, and it's just terrifying to look at. But that was what it looked like with this baby. And I thought, this is a funny enough idea, but it just looks so freaky. But also, putting a dog in a baby's body doesn't all of a sudden give the baby the athleticism and speed of a dog. That makes no sense. But I guess that's nitpicking, so I'll move on from that. Um, The other thing I'll note is that I already said Howie Mandel was in this movie. Some people may know him from Deal or No Deal. Others may know him from the prank show How We Do It, which was so freaking bad. Anyway, though, before I get too distracted, Pete Holmes was also in this movie. Pete Holmes, who some people may know because he did a ton of college humor sketches. I don't know if college humor was his channel or if he just did college humor sketches. I'm not actually sure. But he also briefly had the Pete Holmes show on TBS. I don't know how long that lasted. But Pete Holmes was like my late teenage years on YouTube because he did these Dark Knight parodies where he was the Dark Knight Batman. And I'm telling you, man, some of those are so freaking funny. Like they can get kind of raunchy. So if you aren't into raunchy humor, then I would not look those up. But some of them are so, so funny. So when I see him pop up in anything, really, it just cracks me up because he was one of my favorite guys to look up videos of on YouTube back in the day. 
But yeah, overall, I'll just say that this movie, it didn't even really feel like much of a Christmas movie until they sing a big Christmas song towards the end. And I guess there's a big Christmas tree at the beginning, but it kind of gets lost in being just a family body switch comedy where I kind of was forgetting it was a Christmas movie until it brought it back to Christmas by the end. But I would just say there's nothing really memorable in it. It's not that funny. There are no amazing performances, of course, because it's just a PG family comedy. It's not trying to be anything special. But it just resulted in a very forgettable movie. I'm not saying it's bad, but it just made me cringe a bit. Didn't really laugh a ton. And once it was over, I said, okay, I will never watch that ever again. Like I said, not bad, but definitely nothing worth re-watching to me and nothing that I would ever recommend to anybody. Even if someone said, hey, Caleb, what's a good family-friendly Christmas comedy to watch? I would not say, oh, well, there's this new one on Netflix you probably haven't seen. I would just recommend stuff that most people have already heard of or seen. I would not recommend this movie. So I know it sounds harsh. Oh, Caleb, why weren't you much kinder to this movie? I don't know, man. It just didn't have a ton of flavor. It wasn't for me. So I'll leave it at that. Not a huge fan. But that's all I got for today. Those are my thoughts on the family switch. If you are not already, then please give this podcast a follow so you can stay tuned for all upcoming episodes. And also give me a follow on Instagram. You can find me under the username at vitamin C pod. There you can find updates both on this podcast and on movies in general. Again, I appreciate you guys tuning in. You will hear from me later this week.